Let us all turn together to the Word of God. We're going to read from the book of Genesis, um, Genesis chapter 32. You'll know that we're following on a theme in Scripture. Precious, precious message is contained in every portion, referring to the one described as the angel of the Lord. I'm going to read about him here in Genesis chapter 32. It's a passage from the life of Jacob. And Jacob evidently had an experience with God. A life-changing experience. And it contributed to his walk with God. We're reading at verse 22. Oftentimes, in the night season, we have to get alone with God when the usual business of the day no longer takes up our attention. Verse 22, And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him. He touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, That is this time, Jacob said, I will not let thee go. Except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, thou hast thy power with God and with men. And has prevailed. Then Jacob thought he would return the compliment. In verse 29, and Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. And here's the meaning of Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. 
Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. May the Lord put his amen on the reading and preaching of his holy word this day for his name's sake. Genesis chapter 32, and we're looking at this wonderful account of Jacob wrestling with a man or wrestling with an angel uh, at a place called Peniel. So let's seek the Lord together, please, in prayer. And it was lovely to have our young folk over and carried off on Friday night, and we really thank them for their service, their labor of love. It was lovely to hear the minister in song, and many of the people that were present testified of how they were blessed hearing some of our young folk on Friday night. I want to thank them for that personally. But let's pray together now and really seek God and pray that the Lord will speak to all of our hearts. <clears throat> Father, we come now to thy feet. We ask, O God, that as we open the scriptures and as we seek thy face now in prayer, we ask, O God, that thou wilt be pleased, O God, to meet with us in a very personal manner. Grant, O God, today that it would be just as if the Lord has got us alone with himself and that each individual might experience the touch of God afresh in their lives. Father, hear and answer prayer. And grant, O God, just now that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, will just make his presence and his power known in this sanctuary. Lord, I pray for thy cleansing and sanctifying power upon my spirit, soul, and body. And I ask, O God, for the infilling and anointing of the Holy Spirit. Hide me, O God, behind the cross. And grant, O Father, that honor and praise and glory might be brought to thy name. Make this, O God, to be a very special time around thy feet. Hear and answer prayer. We ask it with thanksgiving in the Savior's precious and holy name. Amen. If you ever study the life of Jacob, there are many, many remarkable events in that man's life. Many highs and many lows. We think of the time that Jacob stole his brother's birthright. We consider as well the time he served many, many years, a man called Laban, that he might take his daughter Rachel as his wife. We think as well about the time whenever as a young man he, he left home and set up his bed one night and took a stone for a pillow and the Lord opened his eyes and he saw a vision of a ladder stretched from earth right up into heaven and were persuaded that that was the night where Jacob truly and really met the Lord in a personal way and he was converted and his life was changed forever. Jacob was a man who came from a godly family. Jacob was a man who had been given gracious promises. Jacob was a man who had great potential and Jacob was certainly a man with definitive and definite and defining moments in his life whenever he experienced the touch of God upon his soul. 
But this experience that we have read about already this morning in Genesis chapter 32 was a defining moment in his life, a moment that perhaps was the most critical moment in the experience of Jacob since his conversion. It was a deepening of the work of grace in his life. It was a furthering of the work of God in his soul. And as the Lord wrestled with Jacob, and then in turn Jacob began to wrestle with the Lord, his life at the end of Genesis chapter 32 was transformed forever in oh so many different ways. And I believe today that as we consider the experience of Jacob at Peniel, the Lord will challenge our hearts and know that God would touch our lives this morning, that God himself would meet with us, and that the Lord will do a deepening of the work of grace in our lives. You know what, see if I believe to say this morning that whenever a person becomes a Christian, you do not get everything of God that there is to get at the moment of your conversion. You're justified, yes. Your sins are all canceled out. The salvation of your soul is secure whenever you are justified. You're clothed in the garments of God's salvation. But we ought never to forget that there's a whole experience from the moment of our conversion until the moment whenever we see the Savior face to face that the Word of God calls sanctification, a growing in grace, a dying unto sin, a living more and more unto righteousness, a closer walk with God. The Bible says we are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we apply the means of grace to our lives, and we read the Word of God, and meditate on the Word of God, and endeavor to understand it, and put it into practice in our lives, and as we spend time with God personally and publicly, and we seek His face in prayer, and we pray that the Lord will lead us and guide us and fill us with His Spirit. There's no doubt that those means applied to your lives enable us to grow deeply in grace. But I believe as well as that, that there are and can be unique experiences in our lives, defining moments, crisis experiences in the lives of Christians, whenever the Lord can come and touch our lives in a new and in a unique and in a different way. It might be during a quiet time with God, whenever you really get through to God in prayer in a way that you've never known before, or in the reading of God's Word, that the Lord applies His Word to your life in a way that you've never experienced before, or maybe during a time of sickness, whenever the Lord brings you low physically, and yet you meet with God afresh in a new way personally. Or maybe at a time of trial or a time of bereavement. Or maybe even in a, in a meeting like this or a convention or a gospel mission or some time of, of special effort and evangelism. Or around the Word of God whenever the Lord touches your life and meets you in a new and living way. I believe today that we have a Christ who is able to meet us in a crisis and in so doing change our walk with Him forever. 
We have been looking at some of the great Christophanies in Scripture, and here we have another one whenever the Lord meets with Jacob, and Jacob's life is transformed and touched. And oh, that God would touch our lives this morning, that the Son of God would meet us afresh and speak into our lives, and as we leave this sanctuary in a few moments' time, not all that long from now, that our lives might be transformed and we might really walk with God in this world that we're living in. As we have thought in other meetings about the Christophanies of Scripture, we're going to consider, first of all, the context of this particular Christophany. And we have that from verse 22 through to verse 24. Jacob was a man with many needs in his life. Even as a believer, he had many needs in his life. He was a work in progress. And all of us this morning have needs in our lives as far as our walk with God is concerned. Many times the psalmist noted, I am poor and needy. And if we can acknowledge that this morning, it gives the Lord legal access to meet those needs in our lives. Consider some of the problems that Jacob had. We might say the first problem that Jacob had was that Jacob was fraudulent. Jacob was a fraud and a trickster. In fact, the very name Jacob, it means guile or twister, one who was a contender with other people, a man that was primarily seeking to prosper his own way and feather his own nest. And if you go back into the history of Jacob since his very birth, you will see that here is a man that is fraudulent in his dealings with others, a man who is consumed with a desire, an inordinate desire for personal gain and for material prosperity. We see how Jacob deceived his father, and Jacob also deceived his brother Esau for personal gain. Jacob was a man who oftentimes was living solely for himself. And that's a big problem in the life of every Christian. The desire to prosper self. The desire to promote self. The desire to elevate ourselves. And it's a very difficult thing in the Christian life to really gain the mastery over self and over the old nature. The Lord Jesus Christ said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And the Christian life is a life of discipleship and cross-bearing and a life of self-denial. But friends, if we're honest, we have to say that we deny ourselves really very little. In the pursuit of godliness and in the promotion of the gospel, we deny ourselves perhaps very little. And sometimes this problem of self-will and self-seeking has to be dealt with. Jacob was fraudulent. That was his first problem. Jacob was fleshly. And that was another problem. Jacob is a man who is, is a picture, I believe, of the carnal believer. We have over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writing to the church at Corinth and he highlights a big problem in that particular church whenever he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. 
I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal or fleshly, the word could be translated. And he says, because of that there is envy and there is strife and there are divisions. Are you not carnal and walk as men? And as Paul looked at some of the believers in the church at Corinth, they were carnal. They were very fleshly. Paul says, you're just walking like the world and living like ordinary men and not displaying the, the reality of a nature that's been changed by the grace of God. And Jacob, in many respects, was a man who was fleshly and a man who was carnal. That was his second problem. And then maybe Jacob's third problem was not only was he fraudulent and fleshly, but Jacob was a man who was fearful. Jacob was not a happy individual. Jacob is a man who seems now in Genesis 32, even as a believer, to be a man consumed with guilt and a man consumed with fear. It says in verse 22, where Dr. Douglas began the reading, he arose up that night and sent his two wives, his two women servants, and his eleven sons, and passed over the ford Jabbok, and he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over all that he had. Now, why did he do that? Why did he send his family and his belongings on ahead of him and remain behind? I believe it was because he was fearful. He knew that his brother Esau was following him, and he was afraid that the day would come whenever he would catch up with them. And so he sends his family on before that their lives perhaps might be spared because he's afraid that whenever Jacob comes, not only might Jacob or Esau take Jacob's life, but take the lives of Jacob's family. And so he's living with this awful spirit of fear. And it can be traced back to the flesh and traced back to his fraudulent dealings, the problems that Jacob had. Notice also in the context of this Christophany, the place where Jacob was found. Verse 23, he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over all that he had. And Jacob is left alone in verse number 24. So he's found now, as he's about to meet the Lord in a new way, in the place of detachment. He sent over all his belongings, all the things that he cares for, all the things that might be like weights and things that beset him and hold him back. And he sends them on and he sends his family on as well. And Jacob is left alone and he's in the place now of detachment. Every distraction has been stripped from him and now he finds himself alone. And I believe today that it's whenever we are found alone in the secret place, and the Lord strips so many things from us that can be distractions and diversions that the Lord gets us alone and strips us bare that the Lord can really do a deep and lasting work in our lives. But sometimes we don't like to be alone. And we don't spend time alone with God in the secret place, alone in the place of prayer and alone in the Word of God. And we're so taken up with entertainment and amusement and busyness and socializing, and our lives can become so cluttered and so busy and so filled with things and filled with social events that we no longer find ourselves alone with God. 
But for God to do a deep work in Jacob's life and deal with these problems that Jacob had, the problem of fear and the problem of fraud and the problem of the flesh, he had to get Jacob alone. And all of us today, I'm sure if we're honest, we have problems and needs in our spiritual lives. And for God to deal with those needs, often he has to get us alone. Eagles fly alone. Lions hunt alone. Whales often swim alone. And great men and women of God are often found alone with God in the secret place, the place of detachment. So can I encourage you as a, as a Christian with all of your needs to get alone with God. Even this afternoon, spend time in the secret place with Christ alone. That's what he said and called his people to do in Matthew chapter 6. When thou prayest, enter thou into thy closet and shut the door, get alone with God. And shut the door in the world and get into the place of detachment. Not only was Jacob in the place of detachment, but he was also in the place of darkness. Verse 22 says, he arose up that night. Verse 24 ends with the words, there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. So Jacob is not only in a detached place, but Jacob is in a very dark place. And sometimes as well, the Lord would bring us into a place of darkness in order for him to reveal himself to us. Moses was brought into a place of darkness. And in that thick cloud, he met the Lord face to face. The prophet Isaiah speaks about treasures of darkness and hidden riches and secret places. If you want to find gold and you want to find silver and you want to find pearls and you want to find precious stones, where do you find those things? You find them in the deep places. You find them in dark places. And if you want to have treasures, spiritual treasures, where will you find them? You'll find them in deep places. And God will often bring you into dark places in order for you to receive tre treasures of worth. Isaiah 50 and 10 asks the question, Who is among you that feareth the Lord? And obeyeth the voice of his servant, and yet walketh in darkness. And here's Jacob, and he's being brought alone into a place of darkness. And if it was a detached place, and a dark place, and a place where the angel of the Lord wrestled with him, we could also say, therefore, that it was not only a place of detachment and darkness, but also a place of difficulty. A place of difficulty, this portion that we have read together, certainly speaks of Jacob being in a, a difficult place. It was not going to be easy for Jacob, for these problems and these needs in his life to be met and all of these things to be stripped from him. One old Puritan says that the tools that God uses to shape his people are the hammer, the chisel, and the file. You get a sculptor and he gets a big stone and digs it out of the ground. First of all, he has to wash it and get all the dirt and all the uncleanness off it. And it's cleansed. But then he sees in it an image in his mind's eye. 
And in order for him to make that stone into an image of beauty, he has to take the hammer and the chisel and the file and the sandpaper and and fashion it. And sometimes that hurts whenever God has to do things in our lives to deal with the flesh and to deal with our fraudulence and to deal as well with our fears. And Jacob now is being brought into a place of difficulty. And the Lord's going to deal with Jacob in a way that he's never experienced before. And isn't it true to say, beloved, this morning, that we so often in the Christian life shy away from those things that are hard and those things that are difficult? We want it to be all downhill until we get to glory. Water follows the path of least resistance, and that's what we're like. We don't like anything to resist the flesh. We don't like anything that's difficult or dark, or we don't like to get alone sometimes with God. But sometimes the Lord brings us to a place, a new place where He can meet us. We have settled, I believe, for a Christianity made easy, but that doesn't really deal with the deep needs in our lives, the context of this Christophany. Notice also the characteristics in the Christophany. We know that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ, because it says in verse 24, Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And so we come to the conclusion that this is not a vision or a dream that Jacob had. This was something real and something literal and something physical and something visible. A man literally wrestled with him. You'll see there in verse number 26 that this man has the authority to bless. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. And so we know that this wasn't a mortal man or wasn't even just an angel, if you like. It was the angel of the Lord, the angel of the covenant, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. In verse 30, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, or the face of God, saying, I have seen God face to face. So this was a Christophany. This was the Son of God in a pre-incarnate state, meeting Jacob at the point of need. And you'll notice one of the characteristics of this Christophany, verse 24, confrontation. Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. He was being confronted now by the Lord. And the Lord lays hold upon Jacob, gets him alone. He's in a dark place, a detached place, a difficult place. And then suddenly the angel or the man comes and lays hold upon him. And the hand of God is now on the life of Jacob. It's a wonderful thing whenever God gets his hand upon a man. You'll read often in the prophecy of Ezekiel that the hand of the Lord was upon me. What do we know this morning about the hand of God in our lives? You conscious today of the hand of God in your life. Suddenly Jacob is being confronted by Christ himself. We're living in a day and generation where professing believers don't really want to face the implications of Christ and His cross. But we'll never be anything unless we confront the implications of a Savior who wants to 
touch our lives and deal with those things that hold us back and hinder us. My prayer for this life of mine and for this congregation is that God would lay hold upon us. That God would get a a grasp of us and that we might be very conscious of that. That we would be done with just having meetings and coming to and from church, if you like, on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening and not really being confronted or not really meeting with the Savior. May God save us from that. May this be a meeting house in the truest sense of the words. Not just a place to meet with other believers, but a place to meet with God. And whenever we open the book together and sing God's praise together and open our Bibles together and pray together that God would meet with us and that we might have confrontations with our Savior. God had a plan and purpose to fulfill in Jacob's life. But first of all, he had to bring him to the place of confrontation, where not only Jacob would confront the Lord, but Jacob would confront himself. Not only was this the place of confrontation, but it was also the place of crippling. Verse 25, when he saw, that is the man saw, that he prevailed not against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint, as he wrestled with him. Jacob refusing initially to yield and submit himself to the Lord. So often we're just the same, aren't we? We know what the Word of God says. We know that Isaac Watts was right when he said concerning the cross, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. But we hold back so much and we're not willing to yield ourselves and to surrender ourselves, and to deal with those things in our lives, and detach ourselves from those things that hold us back from knowing God. And we refuse to yield, and we, we refuse to submit ourselves to the Lord. I wonder today, is there something that God is putting His finger or hand on in your life and mine, and we're refusing to submit, we're refusing to yield? That's exactly where Jacob was. So God touched him at the strongest point in his body and touched his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was put out of joint. And that sinew, it says, in his thigh shrank. And if somebody's going to be a a successful wrestler, the thighs, the largest muscles almost in the body, are critical. But Jacob is wrestling against the Lord. And so the Lord touches Jacob in the strongest point of his body. And this man who was so strong in the flesh now becomes so weak. I wonder, does God have to touch things in our lives? Things that are very precious to us. Things that we deem that make us strong. And that's important to me. And and yet it's the very thing that holds us back and enables us to resist the Word of God in our lives. So God comes and physically touches that thing and causes it to shrink or be put out of joint. Might be a relationship. Might be a business venture. It might be a habit. It might be a hobby. It might even be our health. It could be a number of anything. But there's a crippling just after there's a confrontation and Jacob all of a sudden becomes a very broken 
man, suddenly stripped of his self-sufficiency, stripped of his strength and stripped of his pride, and he becomes a very weak man. And that's the place that the Lord brought Saul of Tarsus to. He said, his strength is made perfect in weakness. Hudson Taylor at the end of his life was asked by an interviewer, why do you think God used you? And he says, God looked down for the weakest instrument that he could find, and he found Hudson Taylor. And his weakness was the secret of his strength. Verse 24, confrontation. Verse 25, crippling. Verse 26, clinging. Things turn around in verse 26. Jacob resting with the Lord, and the Lord says, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And Jacob says, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Things have turned around. The Lord has laid hold upon Jacob, crippled him and broke him and made him weak. And now Jacob is laying hold upon the Lord, and he's saying, I'm not going to let you go. I'm holding on to you, Lord, in prayer. And I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me and unless you do something deep and real and lasting in my life. He's wrestling with the angel of the Lord. It's a picture of true, real, and prevailing prayer. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Brokenness, and then there's boldness. And Jacob becomes a man who will not take no for an answer. If you trace the history of revival or blessing in any church or any nation, it will always under God be brought back to a kneeling or a wrestling figure or figures. Whatever revival you look at, whatever church is under the blessing of God and seeing a work done, there will be kneeling people and people like Jacob wrestling with God, holding on to the Lord in the place of prayer and saying, Lord, I'm not going to let you go except thou bless me. A man that was broken becomes a man with a great burden. In fact, it says in Hosea 12, in verse number 4, that as Jacob wrestled, he also wept. He's in the place where he's weeping before the Lord. And that's where we need to get to. What about our families and our loved ones? There's nothing meritorious or atoning about weeping. But the Lord places value in tears. He says, I will put your tears into my bottle. I'll record them in my book. Jacob has realized his need. Often I believe God allows us to feel and to feel miserably in order that we might realize our absolute dependency upon him. Verse 27, it was also the place of confession the Lord said to Jacob, what is thy name? And he simply says, Jacob. If you just bring it back into its original, what's your name? Twister, deceiver, man that's filled with guile. He's being honest before God. Lord, you know what I am. You don't need to ask me, but Lord, I need to confess it. I'm just Jacob. Lord, there's guile. There's fraud, there's flesh, there's deceitfulness in here. And at last he's getting honest and confessing his needs before God. The psalmist David declared, Lord, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden parts shalt thou make me to know wisdom. You know, there's a time for honest and open confession before God, especially in the secret place. 
I don't believe the public prayer meeting is a place for a, an individual believer to confess publicly a truckload of intimate sins. There are things that are just between us and God. Private sins call for private confession. And here's a man who's confessing his needs before God. He's acknowledging before the Lord who he is, where he is, how he is, and what he is. And it's only whenever we reach the end of ourselves that we reach the beginning of God. The only way to get anywhere with God is to yield ourselves completely to Him. So in verse 24, you've got the place of confrontation. Verse 25, the place of crippling. Verse 26, the place of clinging. Verse 27, the place of confession. Verse 28, the place of conquest the place of victory. Thy name shall be called no more Jacob but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. You've prevailed. You've been brought now into a place of victory, a place of overcoming, a place of conquest. He got what he required and he got what he needed. I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he's now got the blessing of God. And he also became the man that God intended him to be. And I believe that whenever the Savior died upon that cross and shed his blood, he not only purchased for us forgiveness and pardon, but he also purchased for us many, many blessings that sadly we do not really realize in our lives and enter into. J.C. Ryle used to say that so many believers are living beneath their privileges. We have access to God's throne. We have the assurance of God's presence. We have got the promise of God's power, the promise of God's provision, the promise of His protection, the promise of His presence. And yet so often we settle for so much less and we carry on like Jacob with the flesh and with the fears that we have in this world. And we so often live as if we're not really saved at all. We live like paupers whenever we should be living like princes. Notice the blessing that he received or the consequences of the Christophany. Verse 28 through to the end of the chapter, Jacob is meeting with Christ. And it represents a new beginning in his life. I believe he was converted back there in chapter 28 when he saw the ladder stretched up into heaven, but this is something different. You'll notice here that in verse 28, there's a new identity. Thou shalt be called no more Jacob, but Israel. From the twister to the prince with God or the soldier with God. Jacob's character is being further transformed. He's acknowledging, Lord, I'm a twister and I'm all of these things. And the Lord's saying, well, Jacob, I'm dealing with those things in your life. You know, often we point the finger maybe at the drunkard or the drug addict or the whoever it is, the murderer, all the big sins. But we often justify sins in our own lives. Maybe an ill temper a better spirit, frustration, anxiety, self-will and self-seeking and pride. And we often justify these things as just being, well, those are just inherited traits. Those are just, those are just what I am. And they might be just what we are. 
But I believe it's important that we call sin for what it is, whether they're big sins or small sins, outward sins or inward sins. The Lord is able to deal with them. And the fact that he's changing his name now from Jacob to Israel, a new identity. Verse 29, there's a new authority. It says, verse number 29, Jacob asked him, tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he says, wherefore is it that thou asked after my name? And he blessed him there. And it goes on to say that as a prince in verse 28, the previous verse, thou hast prevailed, power with God and power with men, a new authority in his life, a new power in his life, power with God in the place of prayer, power with men by way of influence and testimony. And you'll notice in verse number 30, there's a new reality. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, God's face, for I have seen God face to face. This is a new reality. There's come a time now in his life whenever he has seen God in a way that he has never, never seen him before. This is a new beginning, a new identity, a new authority, a new reality. I've seen God face to face. We can oftentimes be filled with theology and doctrine and Bible truth in our heads, but have very little of it in our hearts or very little of it by way of experience. Job, at the end of chapter, chapter 41, going into chapter 42 and verse number 5, he says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. There's so, so much more, friends, to the Christian life than learning a few truths, praying a prayer, going to church from time to time. But is God real in your life? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Have you ever really seen the Lord working and moving in your life? Do you ever see the Savior as He's revealed in Scripture? Do you ever seek the face of God in prayer? Maybe God this morning wants to bring you into a place of a new reality, new authority, new identity, but it was also an experience of being given a new testimony. Verse number 31, as He passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon Him and He halted upon His thigh. His physical walk and also his spiritual walk was changed forever. Whenever at last he caught up with his family and his friends and his neighbors and crossed over that brook, they could see this man and somehow during the night hours, your walk's been changed. You're walking differently now than you were walking the last time we've seen you. Coming out of the place of detachment and difficulty and darkness, his walk has been changed. And it's very evident and very visible for all to see looking on. Wouldn't it be beautiful if we were to go into our places of employment or influence tomorrow and people looked at our lives and thought, well, there's something different about you. You're not walking according to the course of this world. Your walk is different from everybody else in this place. What's the secret? What's, what's the difference about you? That's what it was said of the early church in Acts 4, that they were unlearned and ignorant men, ordinary men, but their peers took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And oh, that the Lord would so touch our lives this morning. This was a major turning point in Jacob's life, entering into a, a new spiritual realm and experience. Verse 29 says, the Lord blessed him there. 
I pray that the Lord will bless you here this morning. And as you go into the secret place, I trust, maybe this afternoon, spend time alone with God, that the Lord will bless you there and that we might have fresh encounters and experiences with our God and with our Savior. Let's sing together. 482, our closing hymn. 482, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way, thou art the potter. I am the clay. We'll stand together. We'll just sing the first two verses. 482, and remain standing for prayer. Don't let the Word of God fall to the ground. Don't get distracted on the way out or on the way home. Allow the Spirit of God to really apply the Word to your heart. And let's really meet with God in these days.